You are listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope you are encouraged by this today. For more information about our weekly services or messy church, you can find us at haddingtonelamchurch.com. So last week, we uh, heard the amazing story of Cheryl. Cheryl was called to the mission field. She was called about 14 years of age. Many of us are already past that. Some of us may still be close to that age. When we surrender our lives to God, everything changes. Those of us that have come to faith, we knew what our life was like before, especially if we've come at an older age. We knew what our life was like before, and hopefully our family and friends can see that there's a real life change that's happened in our lives. But when we surrender to God, everything changes. At least it should change. God says that the plans and purposes he has for us are for our benefit. See, sometimes if we can just grasp that God is for me, God's not against me. And what he does is for our benefit. Like a loving mom and dad, we're doing things for our children's benefit. He says he wants to give us a future and a hope. And I know for us, for Sherry and I, all those years ago, dozen years ago, as we stepped out the adventure that God has has put us on, if God had said to me, here is a tablet and here is a pen, and I want you to pen your life story. So think about that for a moment. If God said, give me you know, write your life story. Friends, God's story that he's given to us far surpasses anything I could have come up with. When we surrender to him, everything changes. When we put our trust in Christ, he becomes the Lord of our lives. We're to yield our lives and wills to him. See, sometimes we want Jesus the Savior and we want him to save us. We want him to forgive our sins and give us heaven but we don't want Jesus the Lord. He is the Lord of our lives. We still want to be in charge of our lives and destinies. We want the benefits, but we don't want the obedience. The Bible is clear, friends, that we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price. We're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He actually does that exchange for us. We leave the old kingdom of sin and death and are adopted into his kingdom where we're sons and daughters of God. And we're given eternal life. And we're given a new nature. When we've been born again, we've been given a new nature. We've been given his nature. We need to stop living as if we had our old nature So in Luke 9, beginning in verse 57, it will be on the screen for you to follow. Jesus is having this interaction. And it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, Permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. See, God's call is always follow me, follow me. To those disciples, it was follow me. 
And the excuses begin. And I'm not diminishing the excuses, but these people begin to give excuses. And as you study into this, it wasn't that there was an immediate funeral and the young man had to go back and take care of those things. It was in the context of someday my dad's going to die. And when he does, then I'll look to follow you. Many people make excuses. When I'm old, I'll give you my best God. And when I'm old, I'll make those decisions to follow you. I want to read this. This is from Albert Barnes' notes on the Bible. And he's in his commentary about this passage. This is what he says. And it's hardcore. But I'm going to give it to you as he says it. It'll be on the screen as well. It might be hard for you to read, but you could follow along. He says, in order that a plowman may accomplish his work, it is necessary to look onward, to be intent on his employment, not to be looking back with regret that he undertook it. So in religion, he that enters on it must do it with his whole heart. He that comes still loving the world, still looking with regret on its pleasures, its wealth, its honors, that has not wholly forsaken them as his portion. He says, cannot be a Christian and is not fit for the kingdom of God. How searching is this test to those who profess to be Christians. How solemn the duty of all people to renounce all earthly objects and to not only be almost, but altogether followers of the Son of God. It is perilous to tamper with the world, to look at its pleasures or to seek its society. He that would enter heaven must come with a heart full of love to God, giving all into his hands and prepared always to give up all his property, his health, his friends, his body, his soul to God. And when he demands them or he cannot be a Christian, he that is not willing to sacrifice Everything for the cause of God is really willing to sacrifice nothing. Albert Barnes' commentary on this. See, again, he's either Lord of all, that famous expression says, or he's not Lord at all. This is all in. When we went to Japan a number of years ago, as we sat with the missionary and we were talking about uh, sharing faith and, and what that's like as a missionary in Japan, they said to us that when they have people that come to faith and convert to Christianity, it may take a long while. They may come to the service for a year or two because they know when they make that decision to follow Christ, they will probably lose their family, their job. They will be shunned from society, from everything that they know because they made this decision. So they're coming for a long time because they're weighing the decision. Will this be worth it? And we know that around the world there are some who are in nations where they can't openly profess their faith, whose very lives would be lost if they stood up and confessed Christ. And yet here we are in the West, we have freedom. We could gather together. Friends, this is what was written years ago and it's a famous hymn that most of us know. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I sometimes, being a musician, I sometimes like the process of writing a song and maybe the story behind how these words came to be. The lyrics for this song are based on the last words of Noxang, a Garo man from Assam, who converted to Christianity in the middle of the 19th century through the efforts of an American Baptist missionary. He is said to have recited verses from John chapter 12 
as he and his family were killed. The arrangement of the martyr's words into a hymn has been attributed to the Indian missionary Sadhu Sundar Singh. Even when faced with certain death, they stood strong, unwavering to give glory to God. Friends, missionaries, we met Cheryl last week. Missionaries have gone into all the earth and many have given their lives for the gospel. Nations are forever changed by missionaries' willingness to go and the sacrifices that they've made. See, friends, I, I want to say before I even continue on, have we made the sacrifices? See, to follow Christ is sacrifice. We have to say no to self, no to my dreams, no to my goals, and yes to his will. It's a sacrifice. And today, it's like Christians just want the benefit without the price. I read about John Williams. Is anyone familiar with John Williams and not the composer that composed famously Star Wars? John Williams was a missionary. He was sent out from the London Missionary Society. And I read about him a number of years ago. I'm still impacted from the life of John Williams. He went, he went to the islands in the South Pacific. Although he was killed, nations like Samoa, and I have a Samoan friend, and Fiji, and I have a Fijian friend, they were greatly impacted and forever changed by the gospel of Christ. In November 1839, while visiting a part of the New Hebrides, which was the island chain there, where John Williams was unknown to the people on the island, he and fellow missionary James Harris were killed and eaten by cannibals on the island of Aramango during an attempt to bring them the gospel. But in 2009, Descendants of John and Mary Williams traveled to Aramongo to accept the apologies of the descendants of the cannibals in a ceremony of reconciliation. The reconciliation event marked the 170th anniversary of the death of Mr. Williams and his fellow missionary, James Harris, and it had been long awaited. The president of Vanuatu, Lolo Johnson Abi, said, to the BBC that it was an important event for the country as a whole where Christianity is now strong. He said some people from Aramango felt that the island had been under a curse because they've killed the missionaries. Since we claim now to be a Christian country, it is very important that we have a reconciliation like this. And I've seen a video clip of this. The BBC did this documentary and they brought a film crew and they went there, the descendants, the great-great-grandchildren, and, and etc., of John Williams and the, his fellow, uh, Mr. Harris. They went, and the island apologized and embraced and had a reconciliation. It was beautiful. I would say, if you do get to find it, I think you could still find it on YouTube. Have a box of tissues. But imagine that family coming, and the whole island is bringing them uh, reconciliation because of the legacy of their great-great-grandfather who they never met, who was willing to lay down his life for places like this. My Fijian friend says that it was forever changed. The nation of Fiji is forever changed. My Samoan friend is so kind <laughs> and gentle and he's big as can be because of the change. And they would testify that only God can change the heart of a man. His willingness to go changed eternities on those islands. Even though his life was lost, he had a lasting legacy to this day. The Christians from previous generations had a grit to them. They endured persecution, hardships, and hatred. Just read the book of Acts. 
If you read in the first couple chapters, it wasn't exactly pleasant. They were being killed and they were being hunted and they were fleeing for their lives. They sacrificed everything they had and everything they knew. Many were killed for their faith. Many were imprisoned. Here in Scotland, there's a tremendous Christian heritage with the Covenanters and others. There in the Greyfriars Kirkyard, there's a plaque and there's one also by the Dreghorn Barracks. It says some 19,000 Covenanters lost their lives for the gospel in and around Edinburgh. They met in secret in the Pentland Hills. So if you're driving and you see the ski slope with the, with the uh, thing on it, the Pentland Hills, they would meet in secret in the Pentland Hills. We don't have to look very far to see some of those things on the rise again. Persecution is coming. In fact, the last century has seen more Christians killed for their faith than at any previous point in history combined. Sobering statistic. But may we rise up and sing with the previous generations, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. In 1519, Captain Herman Cortez, I was going to try to say it real nice in Spanish and roll my R's, but I'll, I'll spare you. He landed in Veracruz, Mexico from Spain. He had fully committed conquest at all costs. Upon arriving, he gave the order for his men to burn the ships. This was unexpected. I'm sure none of those men would have signed up if they knew that the minute we arrive, we're going to burn the ships. Someone laughed when he did that. And history says that he put his sword through the man's heart. The rest of the crew proceeded to get drunk on the rum at the glow of the flames of the ships burning. And here's the lesson for us. Retreat is easy when we have the option. Friends, too many today, we stub our toe in our Christian walk with Christ and we're throwing the towel and that's us finished. We gave it a try. Retreat is easy if you have the option. Sometimes we need to take that option off the table. There is no retreat for the Christian. In Paul's list of armor that he gives, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate, there's nothing for the back. There's nothing listed. The whole armor of God makes no contingency for our back because we're to stand like I said, we're either taking ground or standing ground. We're not retreating from the enemy. We all keep something that acts as our escape plan or exit strategy. So we want Christ and we want to follow him, but we always keep something in our back pocket. We always keep something of our own for that rainy day. We live our lives with a proverbial plan B. We say to ourselves, this is my safety net, just in case anything happens. We procrastinate in taking action or making decisions until we no longer think that we'll feel fear when in reality, we must learn to act in spite of our fear. The fear may never subside. And also, what you fear may never, ever happen. In fact, 80-some percent of what people fear never actually happens. And it just keeps them trapped in fear. That doesn't make any sense that's our phrase. We love that phrase. That doesn't make any sense. We love to hide behind it because we're rational, intelligent people. We justify things to ourselves that certain things don't make sense. In reality, some things don't make any sense. Cheryl talked last week about how it didn't make any sense for her. She had a 
a permanent full-time job. She had a house. She had a car. It didn't make any sense for her to give up her job to sell her car and to go to a place she didn't even know at the time she was going. But think about, even today, think about the lives that are being touched because she was willing to go from Greenock. She probably would have said, I don't know of any missionaries from Greenock in history. And she's willing to go, and there's at least 30 children that are being impacted, if not much more. It would have made sense. We want to talk about making sense. It would have made sense for Cortez to keep a ship or two, if not his entire fleet. But he was on a mission, and he knew that the only way to keep himself or his men from quitting was to take the option off the table. Friends, don't quit. Don't quit. When Cortez, what he did was force himself and his men to either succeed or die. That's as blunt as it can be. We're going to press forward, we're going to achieve our mission, or we're going to die. We've got two options here. He left them no retreat. It was not an option. And for us, we need to press forward. Too many Christians today are looking back. Jesus says, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. I'm not a farmer. I've not done much farming, but I know that anyone that's doing plowing needs to have a fixed point looking forward to make their line straight. Even driving your car, those of you driving, I don't encourage this, but if you're spending the time looking in your mirror behind you, you're going to probably crash into something. We need to be focused looking forward. Too many look back, like the Israelites that Moses was leading. God comes in. God brings them out with a mighty hand. God says to march forward. And the whole time they're looking back at Egypt. Oh, the leeks were so good. We, it was so good in Egypt. If we could just go back, it was so good. And they forgot the whole time they were in Egypt, they were slaves. Like they would be going back and say that, oh, even being a slave in Egypt was better than having to go forward to the unknown. They were to march forward and trust in the Lord. And every chance they got, they looked backward instead of forward to the land that God was giving them. See, God had a land prepared. He said, I'm giving you a land with milk and honey, and it's before you. And they just kept looking backward. The best was in front of them, not behind them. Friends, God has the best in front of us, not behind us. We need to trust him with our lives, our futures, our families, and ourselves. See, we're much better in the care in his mighty hands than the life that we think we could lead. I believe that there are times in life when we need to burn the ships, metaphorically speaking. Now, I'm not talking about burning bridges. Some people live in a perpetual state of burning bridges. They go to work and they don't like the boss, so they rage quit. I'm not talking about burning bridges. In fact, we should keep relationships intact. But burning ships is something different. Ships represent the things that you're depending on apart from God that you should burn once and for all. The question we have to ask ourselves is this, and it's going to be different in all our lives. What are my ships? What is my plan B? What are the things that I'm holding on to instead of trusting fully in God? What are they in my life? What am I afraid to let go of? What do they look like? In all our lives, they're different. Everyone's ship or everyone's exit strategy may be something different. I can't answer that for you, but I can give you some ideas to think about with this question. Are there ships that need to burn in my life? If there are, what is it that makes it hard to burn? 
These guys had one option, succeed or die. I mean, that's it, forward or, or death. Most people don't make any decisions because fear rules their lives. They fear the unknown. They fear failure. They fear being wrong. And they're all powerful forces keeping them away from all the plans that God has for them. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, it'll be on the screen. And Cheryl talked about him last week as well, Abraham. And he says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. God calls him and appears to him, I want you to go. I want you to leave your father's house. I want to take you and show you a land that you do not know. He left everything that he knew to go to a place that God would show him. He could have frozen with fear. He could have been like many of us. God, wrong address. You've called the wrong number. You've dialed the wrong phone. I think you want somebody else. See, we always think someone else is more qualified. When God calls us, no, 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 God, I'll give you the name and number of somebody that can do this. And God's like, no, you are the one. In his life, he trusted God and went out to a place that he had no idea where it was. He was blessed beyond measure for his obedience to go. So here are a few fears or reasons that hold people back. Some is your current job. Are you afraid to try something new? Are you comfortable there? Not many great things were ever achieved because someone stayed in their comfort zone. Cheryl even mentioned that last week. It's getting out of that comfort zone where we could go and see the impossible when we step out with God. Abraham left everything and went. Does every ounce of your work drain you? Are you in the wrong field? Some people maybe just took, took a job. Maybe they're in the wrong field. Abraham could have stayed doing what he was doing, but he took the risk of faith to believe God and go. The disciples were, majority of them, fishermen. They were not seasoned missionaries. They didn't go to a seminary and have theology degrees. But the, the call came. Jesus said, follow me. And that's what he says to each and every one of us, follow me. They left everything. It says they dropped their nets. Most of them, it was their family business. They left everything and went. And I, I could just only imagine that when they went home that night, sat at the table with the, with the wife, got a career change. I'm going to go follow this guy that we think's the Messiah. I could just imagine possibly some raised eyebrows around the table. But they left everything and they followed him. Little did they know that they would go on in the power of the Holy Spirit to change the world. Friends, never 
underestimate what God can do through a life that is yielded to him. You may be sitting there going, not me. I couldn't share my faith in a stadium. I couldn't do this. Never underestimate what God can do through a life yielded to him. Another thing that keeps people back is that fear of the unknown. And it's a big one. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what, what to do. We always want to see what God is offering first before we commit. Like we want to see the results or we want to have some vision of what the results will be. We want to see what, what the best option is. But he wants us to move. He wants us to step out, to go in faith without seeing. That's what God is after. And I'm not talking presumption. And friends, I just want to make a little parenthesis of what I'm saying. I'm not saying that all of a sudden you just wake up, God's never spoken to you, you've never felt any confirmation or anything, and you just decide you're selling everything and going somewhere. I'm talking Abraham and Sarah both had a call from God, and they confirmed it with each other, and they moved forward. Friends, if you feel that God's calling you to do something, it should be a confirmation of what you feel that he's calling you to do. And you may need to get with some friends or some leaders and confirm that that's the plan or purpose that God has for you. They didn't presume that God would do something. Don't presume that this or that that God's going to do. Know that that's what he's asking you to do or calling you to do. Fear of failure or being wrong is a big one that keeps people from pressing forward. What are other ships that may need to be burned? What ships have you burned if you've burned ships in your life? How did, did it feel at the time? Maybe how does it feel now? Some people, they burn their ships and it's such a relief. Honestly, they've been carrying them. They've been holding them back. They're dead weight and they feel such a relief Sometimes our best course of action can be like this radical approach from Cortez. We need to stop looking to the past, but instead burn the ships. As long as we have our safety net, and whatever that be for each of us, we're all different. As long as we keep that, though, we may not be able to move forward in faith and experience the victory that God has for us. This expression of looking back also references Lot's wife. Remember the angels came and they said, you need to leave immediately. And she was so caught there. That was her home. She maybe picked out those knickknacks. Those were the, the plates that she had specially ordered from Persia. And her, the draw, she couldn't leave. She kept looking back. And she was destroyed. And for many, it's not necessarily a return to the world. It's not like we've walked with Christ and now we've turned back and are backslidden. For many, it's a reluctance to break with it. We're not all in with God. We want to ride the fence because we want all our options open. And if this Christianity thing seems good, we want to go that way. But if it doesn't seem so good, we want to be popular and we'll go this way. Some of us want to move forward with God, but we're kicking and screaming the whole way. In 1 John 2.17, it says, The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. See, friends, what does this world have for us? Why do we hold so tightly onto temporary things? I've said this before. For my life, I want to live my life with open hands. The tighter we cling on to stuff, 
It's just like water runs out of our hands. Try to get a handful of water and hold on tight. We should live our lives with open hands. Everything that we have is a blessing from God. My pastor friend used to say, if you think you own something, die. (laughs) You'll see how much you have because you're not taking nothing with you. Why is it so hard to fully follow after God? Why is it so hard for us to fully commit like the Christians of old? In Ephesians 5, 6, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these, these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all the things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that has become visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Lastly, plowmen do Another thing of great importance. You know what a plowman has to do? They have to hold on. If that thing's getting pulled and you just let it go, it's done. You're not going to have a straight row. Who knows if you're going to get any crops? You have to hold on. They know when they grab a hold of that, you have to hold on until the job is finished. A plowman who would let go is no plowman at all. Might be a novice, inexperienced farmer. But friends, for us, we're all called to be faithful with what God has called us to do. And for all of us, it's different. We need to be faithful for what God has called us to do. Our Lord, who is the Lord of the harvest, is calling for workers to go into his field. He needs those who put their hand to the plow, stay faithful to it. And he says that one day you reap a harvest of 40, 60, even 100 times what was sown. My friend used to say faithfulness equals fruitfulness. Friends, we need to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Whatever that be, whatever that be, as time is wrapping up, will we have the courage to stand in faith? Will we shrink back in fear? Friends, I would encourage you to put your hand to his plow in his harvest field and not look back. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.